for having me here. As I uh, look out, and you heard the word 12 years ago, most of you are like, I never know the guy. I don't know who he is. Uh, why'd they pick him? And, uh, but the first service, it was like homecoming, uh, obviously. I know a lot of the people uh, there. But I'm excited to uh, be preaching to you all today because the message is the same. And the beauty of the Bible is it's a timeless truth. It's not something that is for one generation and not another, or there's not a particular Bible, a book of the Bible that's for younger people as compared to older people or, or more seasoned people or new Christians. The entire Bible is full of what we call timeless truth and has meaning for all of us. Um, and so I'm excited to be given this privilege to come back here uh, and do that. Before I go on, I'd like to introduce my wife, a ministry partner of many years. We're going to celebrate our 40th wedding anniversary coming up. Raise your hand, please. And uh, we've known each other since we were 12, and uh, we developed a ministry partnership back when we were teenagers, and we would go on summer mission trips down to the housing projects of Washington, D.C., and give uh, five-day clubs. And that's when we kind of realized that uh, we had a unique uh, interest uh, in serving God and that he put us together both uh, through marriage and through ministry, and I'm thankful for her. So I just wanted to give her a little shout-out today. We're going to talk about something that, that is important to me, um, and, and it's something that has happened in the church that I kind of want to recalculate and, 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 and rethink. For those of us who grew up in the church, and I'm one of them, uh, we have a bad problem, and that is our Bible knowledge, statistics tell us, and, and people have done surveys, kind of settles out at 14. Uh, in other words, uh, when I entered youth group, I was kind of like, I got this, you know, and isn't that the kind of way youth are anyway? And so uh, a youth group just became a place I went and I hung out. But from my Bible knowledge, it kind of got settled. And, and, and it's what I call the Sunday school version of the Bible. In other words, in, in, in elementary age, when I'm younger, I, I'm going to hear about David and Goliath and a great story about David and Goliath, but I'm not going to hear about David and Bathsheba. Rightly so not appropriate for, for younger ages. And so my idea of the Bible as I grew up was all these great stories and, and things that I was read to uh, when I was younger, Noah and the ark, but I didn't hear about Noah and the debacle afterwards with his sons and, and the curse placed on his family because, you know, when you're in fourth grade, that's not really a good Sunday school lesson. So what did you learn about today? Well, Noah's sons really got hosed over, you know. It's not the story that gets told. So today we're going to look at a familiar character in the Bible. We're going to look at maybe even the beginning of a familiar story. But we're going to go at it at a different perspective. In other words, it's really great to hit the highs, and occasionally we hit a low, but there's a lot of traveling that goes on between those two spots, right? Even in your own life, all right? I'd get married uh, almost 40 years ago. I'm going to celebrate my 40th wedding anniversary. There's been some highs and their lows, but most of it is the journey in between those highs and lows. And that's the important part. And the Bible is full of telling us the journey. So I want you to turn to the chapter of, of first chapter of Joshua. That's where we're going to be in. And uh, why do we want to study Joshua? Uh, first off, he was born a slave. No news to you all, but you might not have really grasped that. Uh, he lived in Egypt. He was born in Egypt. His whole life, up until he was almost 40 years old, was a slave. Most of us think of Joshua as a younger man, because the next part that we hear, the Sunday school version of Joshua, is he was a spy. 
And that always intrigued me as a little kid. That was the neat story where he went out and, and the picture of them coming back with big things of grapes on sticks and everything else. But in my mind, as a young child, spies are in their 20s, right? Who ever heard of a 40-year-old spy, right? I mean, that's why we got to keep switching out James Bond, right? The dude gets old. And no one believes it, so we got to go find a younger James Bond. Well, in my mind, that's the way Joshua was. He was a young man, and, and, and he did all. He was a lieutenant of Moses, and he served him faithfully. And, and, and then he became a general, and he was in charge of the conquest of, of, of Canaan. And, and then he was a statesman as he set up all of the tribes and the land they were going to have. And finally, he was a faithful and steadfast father. Virtually every Father's Day, some preacher somewhere is preaching about Joshua's last words to his family. As for me and my house. And so those are the high points of Joshua. We, we know that. We've heard these sermons. And, and those are good things. But there's a couple of things we need to, to keep in mind. Number one is uh, Joshua was born into difficult circumstances. He did not have the privilege of... of of being a general or being born, he was a slave like everybody else. Second of all, he rose above them. Number two is he's just a cool dude. I mean, when you go through the resume of him, which I just did, there's a lot of cool things. Spy. I mean, that jumps right out at you. General. That jumps right out at you. Uh, Right-hand man to to Moses. Uh, Most of us don't know this. Again, the Sunday school version, that when Moses went to the top of Mount Sinai and was there for for 40 or more days. Joshua was halfway up the mountain, waiting patiently, making sure that the Israelites didn't go up and that he waited for Moses to come down. Just imagine seeing the cloud and hearing the thunder and knowing that your boss is up there and looking down and seeing what? A bunch of nasty people that didn't have patience to wait for Moses to return, that started partying and building golden calves and, and everything else. But Joshua saw a lot. And, and here's why I'm, I'm telling you all this. Because most of us don't realize that when we pick up in Joshua chapter 1, the first verse, Joshua is 80 years old. <laughs> yes, 80 who lives that old, right? But that's where we pick them up. And it's a proper context for us to understand what's going to take place next. For most of us, if we make it 80, we're just thankful that we only have to take eight pills in the morning and six at night. We don't do that. I, I just turned 60 this year. And, I, and I've learned a couple of things uh, in those 60 years. And they're not all good, but here's where I'm at. I'm pretty settled in my life. I know what I like and what I don't like. And I don't like vegetables. I'll eat three of them, and that's it. No matter how many of these newfangled vegetables my wife tries to push at me, it is green beans, corn, and, oh, broccoli. Yeah, there you go. And it better have cheese on it, right? So when she says, hey, you want to try Brussels sprouts? No. Well, why not? Because I'm 60. I know what I like. Don't try to shove this stuff on me. The other thing is, vegetables do not constitute a meal. The other day, I was coming home from a business trip, and she texted me, and she says, what do you want on your salad tonight? I texted her back one word, meat. All right? I know what I want. And so there's a danger in our lives that the older we get, and I know some of you gasp thinking of oldness, just 
you're going to get settled. And you may not be there yet because your, your transition, your family, your job, your career, all these things are in flux. And, 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 but trust me, there comes a time when you feel settled. And if anybody deserved to be settled, it was Joshua. As I said, I just highlighted to you that, that all the things that took place with him, and, and, and you would think at the age of 80, he'd go, whew, let's just get into the promised land, give me a little bit of acreage, I'm going to have a nice little farm, I'm going to take it easy, and he hears these words. So let's turn to Joshua chapter 1 and read the first nine verses. I'll be reading out of the ESV. It's a little bit different than the, the home that you have up on the screen, but close enough for you to follow along. And the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to you, to the people of Israel, every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I have promised to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, All the land of the Hittites to the great sea towards the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause the people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and courageous being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. The book of law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in you. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. And do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, I'm thankful for your faithfulness. I'm thankful for your clarity. I'm thankful for your precision in my life. And it is only me that clouds it up. It is only me that gets in the way of your success using me. So I pray that I will remove the calluses from my heart, that my ears will remain attuned to your will for my life and for those around me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So we've talked a little bit about Joshua so far, and we're going to use him as the context for two things. We're going to talk about an individual calling. That's when God speaks to you, and he does that differently, but when he gives you his ministry, his calling in your life for you. And then we're going to talk about what we call a corporate calling. In other words, I have a personal calling, but I exercise it, and in this day and age, we exercise it through the church or through ministry. God doesn't just tell us to go out in isolation. There are people that might work alone, but we go with the foundation of a corporation. And by that, I don't mean it as the legal sense. I mean it in the sense of a group of believers, uh, a group of people that have come together in fellowship and in a mutual commitment to each other. And so these are the ways we're going to look at these calls. Number one is we need to understand in verse one, we see that Joshua is called by name. In other words, God knows your place in life, where you're at at the moment you receive the call. Uh, When I took over a little country church a couple of years ago, we had a big, long prayer list. And and, and Jerry Sosby, used to be the pastor here, had a name for a big, long prayer list. He called it the organ recital. And by that he meant we're going to pray for Mabel's heart, 
Bob's spleen, Joe's, you get the idea, body organs. But here's the problem with that. And I'm not saying we don't pray for people's health, but here's what I heard in prayer meeting. And, and, and it broke my heart because it, it, it's something that we've acquired in the church that's really a bad habit. Here's how the prayer would go. Dear God, you know Mabel's got her heart surgery this Tuesday, and she hasn't been feeling well lately. And uh, we pray that, um, you know, the surgeon will be successful and that she'll come out of recovery and she'll be returned to her family healthy. And God, you know that Mabel struggles with this and so on and so forth. And I said, oh, my goodness. We've fallen into this trap that we serve a stupid God. That my job is, hey, God, I'm down here on earth. You don't know what's going on. So when I talk to you and I pray to you, I'll let you know. Hey, you know, Mabel, you know, the doctor's appointment. God knows this. God set it up. God's hand is in this. It's his will that the events that are going to take place, and I don't mean it in a fatalistic his will, but God knows the steps. In other words, our prayer should be as God, we as a church teach us how to minister to Mabel in the next week. She's going to need the church. So God, open my eyes so I can be a vessel of grace and mercy to her. Isn't that a more powerful prayer for the people that are going to be hurting or hurting now than me being a messenger of circumstances? You see, God knew Joshua's circumstances because in the second verse he says, Moses is dead. I I mean, Joshua knew that, but remember, if you know it from Sunday school, God took Moses up and buried him. So no one would make a shrine out of it. No one would run up there to see Moses' grave or, or go up there and go, oh, it's really bad, Moses. We wish you were back here. None of that. God knew that that was our tendency. He took Moses away, and he was giving that finality to Joshua. Joshua, this is it. The man that you served for 40 years, the man that directed your paths, the man that told you what to do, you as his lieutenant, is D-E-A-D. Not on a trip, not taking a break, not on vacation. He's dead. It's pretty final, right? You don't come back from that, except in very extraordinary circumstances. I remember when I went to pastor this little church. I was a pastor of one. And uh, I, I got up that Sunday, and, and, and usually I, I pastored here as an associate pastor. I pastored at other churches. I've been involved in other ministries. There was always a boss man above me. And I remember that first Sunday getting up and going, oops. This is me. This is my show. Not that I owned it, but it was my responsibility. I remember later on, a couple of weeks ago, I was walking around the house, and I was coming up with all these ideas for the church, and and I said, we ought to do this, and we ought to do this. And and my lovely wife, who has much more insight into the day-to-day things and into my own heart, goes, who's the we? I go, what do you mean? She goes, it's you. Oh, you're right. You see, many of us Christians have gotten into this habit that we're we're not in charge of anything. We don't have our own destiny. We don't have our own calling by God. We'll just come and help where needed. But I'm here to tell you, any nominating committee and any Baptist church knows that the helpers are few and far between. We may think we're going to help, but in reality, we don't do it. And if I was to come up and ask you all and take a poll and say, what's your calling from God, many of you would stammer. Many of you would go, well, I I don't know. uh, He hasn't given it to me yet. Yes, he has with great clarity. And so uh, Joshua is about ready to get his calling. 
And, and so it goes on. And, and it, notice it's not, Joshua, I've watched you, and I think you're good at this. Uh, you're good at uh, music. You're good at teaching and preaching, so that's going to be your calling. Most of the time, God will use those things, but his calling is on his plan to accomplish his mission. And so notice interweaved in the verses we just read here, he gives Joshua the, the, the message that he wants him to do. And he says, you're going to conquer this land and this land and this land and this land and this land. And from here to here and here to here. And it's pretty big and there's lots of enemy there. And you're, that's your job. And you know what? You're going to do that because I, God, Yahweh, promised this to my people. Wow. Notice the other interesting thing here. How much words has Joshua said? zero. Now, having said that, there are examples in the Bible, Moses included, that entered into a lot of negotiation with God. Well, God, you know, I stutter. Well, God, you know, I'm a criminal in Egypt. Well, God, you know, and usually what's the outcome of that? God gets, I can't say the word. My wife won't let me say it. It starts with a P. It means mad, but typically that's what God gets. When you start negotiating, God gets mad. He's like, did you not hear my plan, Steve? Your role, my plan. Oh, well, we're Baptists, God. That's not how we do this. We vote. We have committees. We, we, we set all this stuff up, and then I, they ask me if I want to serve. I give the Christian answer for no. I'll pray about it. Right? And then we hope they forget that they asked us and that they don't come back and that they, in the meantime they asked somebody else that was prayed up and they said yes. And your biggest fear is when they come back to you and say, oh, I've given you two weeks. Have you prayed about it? And you go, yeah, right now. You see, none of us recognize our calling because we think there's special callings for preachers and teachers and missionaries, but we don't think God gives us a call. Yes, he does. And if you are quiet enough to listen to it, you can hear it. And so Joshua gets the call, and he goes, and and, and he listens. But here's the third thing I want you to see in this. God knows Joshua's heart. You see, we don't have to negotiate with God because God has already anticipated our no. He's already anticipated our tendency. He's already anticipated our weaknesses. And so three times he says to Joshua, be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. For I am with you. You see, Joshua, it can be a great lieutenant. He just got promoted to general. There's a big difference between executing and carrying out somebody's orders and giving the orders. That's a big leap. And this is the leap that Joshua has to make. At 80, remember, I'm 60. I'm not eating lima beans, all right? It ain't happening, all right? But if God came to me and said, you're going to eat lima beans, I'm like, no, I'm not. And he's going to go, yes, you are. You see, that's the way we are in life. We're Americans. We have rights. We don't have to eat. We do all these things. We're Baptists. We vote. We got all this stuff that we've put on our lives, that when God comes to us with clarity, we muck it up. And so he gets this and he says, I know what you're thinking. You're scared out of your mind right now, Joshua. Don't worry. 
I'm with you. He also reminds Joshua of his covenant responsibilities, that Joshua is being asked to carry out God's mission, the promised land. Joshua didn't make the promise. God made the promise. So what's Joshua's response? Let's look at the second part of this, because Joshua has to exercise this through the church. His church back then was the the nation of Israel, the 12 tribes, the covenant that God made through Abraham to these 12 tribes. And it is, I'm going to take you out of captivity. I'm going to put you in the promised land. That's God's promise, the Abrahamic covenant, part of it um, to him. And Joshua, you're now going to be in charge of putting this whole plan together. You got that? I think so. I got it. So here's where we're at. Now we'll pick up in the second part of chapter 1, verse 10. And Joshua commanded the officers of the people, pass through the midst of the camp and command the people, prepare your provision for within three days you are to pass over this Jordan or go in to, to go in and take the possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess. And the Reubenites and the Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, remember the word that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, the Lord your God is providing you a place of rest and will give you this land. Your wives, your little ones, and your livestock shall remain in the land that Moses gave you beyond the Jordan. But all the men of valor among you shall pass over armed before your brothers and shall help them until the Lord gives rest to your brothers as he has to you. And they also took possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving them. Then you shall return to the land of your possession and shall possess it, the land that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you, beyond the Jordan towards the sunrise. And they answered to Joshua, All that you have commanded us we will do, and wherever you send us we will go. Just as we obeyed Moses in all these things, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your commandment and disobeys your words, whatever you command him, shall be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. There's a couple of points we want to see here in in this corporate call. So Joshua gets the call. You're now it. Moses is dead. You're the general. Here's my plan. Take all this land. Go and do it. And I know there's going to be times when you're fearful. I know there's going to be times when you don't have courage. I'm going to give it to you because I am with you. So this is what I love what Joshua does. As soon as he gets that, he processes it. He says, okay, I'm going to act in obedience. And he came and he got the 12 tribes together and he said, okay, guys, we have this really big plan. I need to form a couple of committees here. We need to have the long-range planning committee. Uh, We're going to see how this is going to look. Somebody's got to visualize what the 12 tribes are going to look like later on. So let's take care of that. And uh, by the way, um, we're going to need money for this, so we need to start taking up a collection. I know we'll start a special fund and we'll put money in that, and we'll collect money for that, and, and eventually, uh, no. What did I just describe? Every Baptist church in America, didn't I? Says the hushed crowd that's pulling their feet up underneath the pews because the preacher just stomped on them as he went through. You see, we're Americans. We have a high degree of individuality. We have a high degree of autonomy. We have bought into that if America, if it's good for America, it's good for the church. And so we question our leaders. And if you don't believe me, where's our country at right now? We question everything. We've become a nation of cynics. We've become a nation on the border of anarchy. 
because our sense of independence, our sense of self-autonomy, our sense of my experience has more value than the citizens and the people around me to include in the church. And if I can't validate it in my life, it has no meaning in anybody else's life. Leave me alone. Attitude has thwarted the movement of the church in America. But Joshua doesn't play that game. Joshua, as soon as he understands his call, gathers the leaders together and says, you got three days. Three days. Get your house in order. Get your provisions ready. Get your men of valor ready. We're going in three days. Now, there's wisdom in counsel. There's wisdoms in consultation. I'm not saying that we should all be autocratic and we should all be autonomous. But here's what we don't say. We say, well, God hasn't given me a special calling. That's for pastors and teachers and missionaries. And then when those with a special calling saying, this is the message God's given me, we go, woohoo! slow your roll there, pastor. Not so fast. You didn't consult us. Well, if that's the way you feel, then exercise your special calling too. And so the leaders gather. But there's a fly in the ornament here. And this is the non-Sunday school part. This is the part that you never got taught in Sunday school. This is the part when most people teach through Joshua, they skip over. It's these pesky little two and a half tribes. You see, they're settled on the east side of the Jordan right now. That's the geography of this. And when they got there, they went, this is sweet. This is pretty good. You know, there's plenty of grazing land here. It's wide open. There's water on the Jordan. Why do we got to cross over? So a bunch of smart guys went to Moses and said, look, there's not going to be enough land for us over there. They had the plan all worked out. And, I, and, and why don't you leave us over here? Sounds like a good plan, right? Yeah, you might want to be moving your church over there. You might want to be moving the ministry over there. And, and you know, and that's good. We're not against that. But we kind of like the ministries we're involved with. We kind of like the things we're doing. We kind of like our service. And so for whatever reason, the Bible doesn't condemn or approve this contract. But Moses says, all right, you can do that under one condition. And it's a pretty big one. You send your best men across the river to fight with the rest of the armies, and they will stay till the job is done. Yeah, done, good deal. Well, here we are, fast forward, years later, Moses is dead, they're settled in that land, it's time to go, and Joshua says, hey, I'm aware of this contract. And a contract with Moses is a contract as good as one with God. God has not given me any wisdom to void this contract. I'm going to honor it. It's time to pay up. And that's the message that's in that second part of chapter 1, where Joshua says, I've got a covenant responsibility, and so do you. You have a responsibility to serve differently than the people that I'm going to be calling upon, but you need to be a part of this. And so he went to those two and a half tribes, and they went, we're in. Not only are we in, we understand the full commitment. We're all in. Now, we don't have enough time, but if you were to fast forward and look in Joshua chapter 4, verse 11 and 12, 11 and 12 says that when they got ready to go, the 40,000 best men from these two and a half tribes, their best, their strongest warriors went 
first. You see, my problem is, sometimes when I make an agreement with God, I have all these preconditions, and I will commit once God does his part. We do that in the church, too. Well, I think that's a good ministry, but you know what? I'm going to hold back a little bit. I'm going to wait and see if it really takes hold. That that might be their thing, and that may be a good... And I know they've asked me, but you know what? I'm not ready to commit my best and be first. And so the church is full of people that are sitting back and waiting to see the others. And what these two and a half tribes said is, here's our 40,000 young, able, best warriors we have, and not only that... We're going to prove our commitment. Let them go into battle first. The young people of the church, of this tribe. And so they did that. And so they went, and it's a wonderful story of a conclusion of both individual calling and church unity. And that's what I want to leave you with today, this idea of church unity. Moses is, I mean, Joshua is, is, is 80. And excuse me if I keep getting the two of them mixed up. We are talking about Joshua. Joshua's 80. We younger people, and, and, and I said I was 60, and the reason I'm going to throw myself in the younger ones, because at the end of the first service, a whole bunch of 80 people came up to me, 80-year-old people came up to me and go, you're a young whippersnapper there. I went, thank you very much, thank you very much. I'll take that today. You need wisdom, young people. Moses didn't say, I'm going to take a young, I mean, God didn't say, I'm going to take a young guy. He said, I'm going to take a guy that's had 80 years worth of experience, that has fought my battles next to one of the most esteemed and wisest men that God has ever known, so personal that he called him a friend, and he took him and buried him personally. That's a close relationship. Joshua had to step up into that, but he had the wisdom of that ear for 40 years of his life. So this isn't young versus old. This is young and old. This isn't old versus before young. This isn't young before old. This is the entire church and all of its demographics and all of its socioeconomic aspects. They lead and march together. Now here's the challenge for us older people. I'm like the two and a half tribes. Uh, as I shared uh, earlier, uh, my conversations when I get together with my friends are, so uh, what doctor, I mean, you saying? Uh, how many pills you've taken? Ooh, uh, you got high blood pressure? What's the med he's got you on? It's crazy talk. I thought I'd never be that way. But that's my life now. My life is my wife goes with me to the doctor's appointment. Why? Because if I go by myself and I come home, she goes, what did the doctor tell you? I have two solutions. I'm going to live or I'm going to die. It's really something in between there, but I need her to listen. Because she says, no, he said to stop eating McDonald's fries. Oh, he did? Yes, he did. But we need that wisdom. We need the wisdom of older people. And yes, they may not have the energy. But I'm also going to throw another caution out to the older people. What you have is wealth. There's a modern generation today that has been saddled with debt for all the wrong reasons. And I can hang on to my 401k... I could hang on to my IRA. I could hang on to my personal savings. And I could say, ah, the church isn't getting any of it. I spent a lot of money to build this sort of stuff. I'm not giving any more. And I could be very selfish with my money in my old age and say, no, you're not getting any. And what I'm doing is hobbling the church. 
Because for whatever reason our society and our culture has done is we have raised up a generation of, of younger people that have legitimate financial challenges. That's no excuse not to give to the church, younger people. Don't use that as an excuse not to be committed financially. But that's something I can still contribute to, wisdom and wealth. If you're young, you need to be ready to go in three days. God's not waiting until you get to 80. It was 40,000 of the strongest, most able men that passed first in front of the entire tribe of over a million people and said, let's do this thing in three days. So the call to you is, if I was to come back next Sunday, I would say, what have you done in the next three days after my sermon last week? What did you do differently where you said, God, send me? So when Isaiah heard that call and God said, I've got a ministry out there, I've got a mission out there, who will go? Who can I send? Only one person raised his voice. It was Isaiah and said, send me, here am I. But everybody's got an excuse not to go. So here's the challenge and why we're here. It comes to us in Hebrews. And if we turn to Hebrews chapter 4, we will see this call. It's where Joshua is mentioned for the last time in the Bible. And it pulls and calls all the way back to and points to this chapter we just said. For if Joshua had been given if for if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also entered, has rested from his works as God did from his. Verse 11 is the key point. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. God still has a covenant. It is to redeem the lost. The reason we are here today is because of God's forbearance. The Bible tells us that the only reason Jesus Christ has not returned is because God desires all to be saved. God has provided a means for all to be saved. But he's also provided agents to provide that message of a Sabbath rest saying, you can have eternal rest. And it is the church. It is us. And that's the calling to us. We are the instruments to give rest. But here's our problem. The church in America today says, I've earned my rest. I'm good. I'm going to take my Sabbath now. And that is why the church has lost esteem in America. That is why the church is not influential in America. Because we have settled on the east side of the Jordan and have planted our farms and are raising our livestock in our wealth, and in our comfort, and have ignored the personal and corporate call of God to his children. We are better than that. We can do better than that. So, as we conclude today and we come up and, 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 and finish in, in worship and song today, which I love because the songs give us peace, but don't let that be confused with rest. We have a job in front of us. We have a ministry that is vital to the city of Rock Hill, to the state of South Carolina, to our country, and to the world. It says, let us strive as we bring others into the rest that we enjoy. 
Dear gracious Heavenly Father, thank you that you have personally given me the rest, that you have come towards me as a young child and said, Steve, here's your Sabbath rest. But God, let me never confuse that eternal rest with this contemporary rest. Let me stay healthy uh, for your cause. Let me stay energetic for your cause. Let me stay passionate for your cause. And let me stay engaged for your cause. So God, it is easy to fall into complacency. It is easy for me to become settled. It is easy for me to be greedy with what those things that I have acquired and stored up. But God... I pray that you will always be clear in your calling to me, just as you were Joshua. Know my doubts, know my misgivings, but tell me to be strong and courageous. Let me move forward, let me be first, just as Joshua and the men of Israel were. For that is my prayer for this church and for me. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.